0: Welcome to the Building Confidence podcast, brought to you by KPMG, where we explore how reform can create deserved confidence in governance, corporate reporting, and audit. I'm Michelle Hinschliff, and I'm your host, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Claire Payne to explore investor priorities, and more broadly, the role which institutional investors play in driving enhancements in corporate reporting. Claire is a senior global ESG and diversity manager at Elgin an institution which manages over 1 trillion of assets. Claire interacts with companies, investors, and other market participants on various ESG issues with a specific focus on diversity. Claire, thanks so much for joining us today, and particularly as I imagine it's quite a busy time of year for you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Michelle. It's really good to be with you and speak to you today.
0: Claire, maybe we'll start with perhaps the current uh, AGM season. And what are some of the key ESG themes which institutional investors will will see being focused on?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a a lot going on in this season as ever. Um, And, um, you know, it's not just focused on governance issues, um, which I think historically AGMs, uh, you know, seems to be focused on. Um, you know, in the environmental side of things, we've got, um, you know, material climate change risks and opportunities we're expecting uh, companies to be disclosing, um, TCFD reporting, Paris aligned transition plans. And, you know, I think there's much more movement in terms of voting against directors at companies that are failing to either set emissions reductions targets or to, in fact, align their business strategy and policy to influence those targets Um, There's also a a say on a climate resolution that's been coming through this year and that's a new resolution that we've seen. Um, It's a global initiative that actually addresses climate risks by offering companies a standardised and comparable way uh, to put forward a net zero transition plan Um, and and it has the added benefit where um, it's you know to to get annual feedback from shareholders. Um, So that's you know quite a, a new step that we've seen on the environmental side this year um on social issues I, I feel social is a bit like a forgotten middle child sometimes but we've been engaging on social issues for a number of years um, and you know they're very much really inextricable from the environmental and governance issues we see and and you know we've seen inter- intersectionality of esg play out quite clearly in 2020 um you know evolution of the the covid 19 pandemic and a powerful reaction we saw Um, in society against racial violence, Um, you know, COVID-19 is is an S issue, but very much linked to the governance issues of remuneration Um, and racial equity is, we consider, an S issue, but also very much linked to the governance issue of board effectiveness. So I think, you know, we're seeing diversity reporting and we're seeing that across gender and ethnicity pay gaps Um, resolutions and and when I say resolutions I mean shareholder proposals for the most part on human capital management and whether that's reporting on certain metrics or auditing around it Um, you know conversations around modern slavery human rights supply chain management and, and racial equity audits is also something that's come through specifically for financial companies so there's quite a lot going on in the social space and then that brings us lastly, but certainly not least, to governance. Um, you know, typically the, the issues we continue to see are around board effectiveness, um, tenure and underboard effectiveness. That, that obviously brings through the diversity conversation, board leadership, um, and, you know, the independence of, of, of the board in terms of, you know, the role of chair and CEO, which we are still seeing combined in some markets, you know, predominantly the US, um, you know lobbying proposals um, but also audit fees and audit committee expertise um, so there's a lot going on um, some of these issues we've seen before but some some are a little bit newer. So as you say a pretty full agenda with, with with that rundown
0: covering all of the ESG so maybe if we break that down a little bit and perhaps focus on as you said the the S part of ESG on the social side which which you know, as you said, sometimes is forgotten about, particularly with the focus and quite rightly the important focus being placed on the environment and climate change. But perhaps if we come back to the, the social side, and you mentioned a number of the areas there, um, gender, ethnicity, racial, human rights. Maybe let me start with, with gender, um, because that has been the focus of investors for quite a while. And dare I say, has actually brought about considerable change. So be keen to get your views on, Uh, the progress that's been made, has enough been done? Is there more for companies to do um, in terms of uh, gender balance?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of progress has has been made. But it it has felt, you know, at times a little bit glacial. Um, You know, we have been focused on this issue for for 10 years, really. um, And we've been voting on this since 2015. So it it feels like quite a long time now. Um, But yeah, progress has definitely been made. Now we see, you know, the FTSE 350 at at 30% in terms of gender representation at the board level. And I think that's been a really good starting point because the board level is the visible part of the company. Um, You know, we we can see who who are the individuals, you know, in that team. Um, And I think it was the sensible place to start because we could quite easily monitor progress. But I think it's been, you know, very um, heavily discussed that it shouldn't just stop at board level, you know, that there does need to be representation um, in terms of diversity on executive committees. So um, whilst there has been a lot of progress and, and we've sort of hit that minimum and I like to remind people that it is a minimum of 30% at board level. Um, I think there is still a lot more to do in terms of um, really getting that increase in representation at the, the other Um, teams within a company and essentially the executive committee is the strategic thinking of a a business. So it's really critical to get that diverse thinking into that team Um, and we're not seeing that really happen. There's a lot of all all male executive committees still and and when I say I'm talking about this, this is purely in the UK I'm I'm thinking about at the moment but it's not the only market that that is struggling. Um, So I do think there is a lot more focus we can have, and, and we're certainly thinking about how we can um, put a bit more focus onto that. We've always um, been publicly um, transparent about the fact we do expect companies to have, um, you know, balanced executive committees in terms of diversity. Uh, we don't place voting sanctions at the moment. Uh, and I can't, you know, say at this time when that might happen. But I'm seeing that in the very near future that we would want to start to place sanctions, voting sanctions on, on that part as well, because we've seen that that creates progress. Um, you know, when you place a vote against a, a board chair, it's it's a very personal vote. And, and it needs to be taken that way because that person is accountable um, at the board level for, for that, for that, um, you know, level of diversity. So... It is taken seriously and it it, it does really push change and, and I think we've seen that and I think ensuring that this conversation remains on the agenda and and not feeling like um, we've suddenly got gender fatigue that, that we need to stop talking about it is it, not an option you know we're still very much at the beginning of the journey you know we really want to see parity um, in terms of certainly gender at boards and then you know all the other elements of diversity being considered.
0: Brilliant. So in terms of, uh, so the companies are taking steps around disclosure of, um, numbers. So the targets. do you see sufficient in terms of the disclosure around the policies and what the companies are doing? Because the, ta- the, the end goal is one thing, but I guess having that embedded in the underlying policies um, and processes and actually for, and for investors to be comfortable that they know what's happening. Is that through disclosure or is that through greater engagement that companies need to be having with the, with the investor community?
1: I think it's a bit of both, really. And yeah, the data, the quantitative data is absolutely key, um, because we, we can see progress against, you know, against that year on year. Um, but I think certainly the narrative is important. So the more qualitative information is is equally important. You know, we want to see meaningful diversity policies. And that's not sort of a boilerplate language of, well, we think this is really important. And it, yes, it's strategic for us. Well, tell us what that means, you know, really give us some information about what that means to you as a business how you're trying to make change and i i you know i appreciate the difficulty with companies where they don't want to make their annual reports too long and too wordy but i think this is information that is really important you know this is essentially about the people that you have on the key teams in your business and and we need to see how you're um ensuring that they are fit for the future so i think companies can do better in terms of um you know telling us that more qual- qualitative information um, and also some of the challenges you know tell us you know if you have a target and you haven't met the target don't you know feel like you can't talk about that that you've got to brush it under the carpet and go oh well hopefully no one will notice um, you know talk to us about your challenges because actually that will not only help investors understand it will also help the business community learn from each other um, you know we need to sort, sort start sharing knowledge a bit more and I feel that sort of side of it has maybe never been there, or maybe if it has broken down a little bit, where companies can learn from each other, and I think to uh, you know to, to share the challenges and how they've got through those challenges, I, th- I think would be enormously helpful, and and to disclose some of that would really help investors understand how a company is really working on some of this.
0: Some really great advice there, and to to, to directors and to companies around being very transparent in this in the disclosures. Um, Claire, perhaps maybe if we can move to ethnicity um so there's you know, some great progress, but as you said we're only at the beginning on on gender we're at the beginning of that journey. um, can you talk about some of the challenges with eth- ethnicity and data because I can imagine that's um you know we need data, we need good and reliable data, so keen to get your views on that um and any advice to companies you would have?
1: Yeah, and you're absolutely right that the data is key, and we've seen that coming through. You know, with the um, the work on gender, and I think um, when we put our ethnicity strategy in September last year, it was it was very much with the honest, the honest comment really to say that the data we're going to be using we know is not perfect. Um, you know, We're using ISS assessed ethnicity data. Now, it's called assessed ethnicity data because a lot of the time, um, because disclosures from companies are weak in this area, ISS are having to make an assessment about the ethnicity um, of, of a board, um, and that might be looking at someone's LinkedIn profile. They might be looking at where they went to university. I mean, all these different factors will come into play to help them assess that person's ethnicity. Now we know that's not ideal, so it's in companies' hands here, and companies could control the messaging here. Um, it's in companies' hands to say these are the, this is the ethnicity of our board, um, and, and to be open and transparent about that will enable us to to really understand. Um, the, the breadth of ethnicity they have um, which then obviously feeds into that cognitive diversity so um, yes the, the data by any means at the moment is not perfect and we're very aware of that um, and the reason we also started to um, want to sanction companies which we will do in 2022 Um, we decided, you know, that was best for the UK and US markets because we are getting the better data through, but also they are markets we're able to make that judgment because as we know in in regions such as Europe, it's illegal to to collect this information. So that, you know, I've been asked about that a lot. You know, quite honestly, I don't know how we're going to push for change there, but we do need to do that. Do we need to say to European companies, you know, you need to start pushing your regulators or whatever it might be. Because you see this is important for you and your, the future of your company. But also you recognize the importance this has to investors. So, you know, there's a responsibility potentially for companies to, to make the change. Are companies able to, to disclose this, you know, themselves? Um, you know, it, are there conversations they can have with their employees? And it goes back to a sort of a trust relationship where they need to explain to their employees, this is why we're wanting to gather this data, because it's going to make our company and make our teams better for the future. You know, this is for no other purpose than to ensure that we are utilising the best talent we can possibly get our hands on mm-hmm. and to make sure that we're we're valid for the future as a company um, and, and to harness all the brilliant ideas that, that we're currently not harnessing. Um, And that then obviously goes through to economic growth. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things at at play here. So, you know, it's going to be, and I hate to use the word journey, but it is going to be a bit of a journey in terms of the data because ISS have have been, you know, great at, at, you know, starting to, to gather some of this data, but it's not perfect. They're aware it's not perfect. So we're saying to companies very clearly, the UK companies and US companies we've written to, you know, talk to ISS. Don't come to us as an investor with your data. If, we've, if we're gathering data from ISS that's incorrect, then you go to ISS and talk to them about the data that they should be capturing on you. It could be that you're not disclosing it properly. It could, it could be some misinformation somewhere. So we're saying to companies ensure that that data is as accurate as you can possibly make it because investors are using this. They're using it for engagement purposes. They're using it for vote, uh, for voting purposes. Potentially, they'll be using it for asset allocation purposes. You know, ESG information now is so critical because it is now making investment choices, investment decisions. So um, the the data piece is really important, but we we know that it's not perfect, but all of us need to work together to to make it the best it can be, I think.
0: So there's a clear message there um, for companies um, to present the data very clearly and ideally in in such a way that it makes it, easy for that, for that data to be analyzed. So there can be no, no, um, discussion over, well, it hasn't been interpreted properly. It's up to the companies. I think from what you're saying, clearly set it out, make it easy to be collated and analyzed.
1: Yeah, I think the onus is on the companies here because they, they, they are understanding more and more the importance of data and how to report that data. And, and I don't think it would be an excuse for a company to say, well, I didn't realize this was important. I didn't realize investors were interested in this. You know, there, there is that understanding there. And I think, you know, there has been challenges and questions around, well, well, you know, when we're talking about racial diversity, what are the categories that we use? You know, this is, you know, sensitive stuff that we're talking about. And it is emotive. It's an emotive subject. Um, and, you know, certainly um, many companies say, well, they use the census categories. So it, it, it's kind of having a and also a sort of agreement might be the wrong word, but it's having a consensus, I suppose, around The the categories of data that we're using. And also we are saying to companies, disclose it in the same way that we would say for gender. So disclose it in terms of board level, executive committee level, management level and, and broader workforce level. And companies have to also, the onus is also on companies to define you know, what the management level is and and keep that a consistent bucket, if you like, year on year so that that data can be comparable year on year. It's clear what the board is. It's clear what executive committees are, but that management space can be a bit fluffy. Um, So I think it's important for companies. It's not up to me as an investor to say, well, I think these are the people that are management. That's up to companies to tell us.
0: Okay. So, so a couple of questions on that. Let me first go back to something you mentioned, um, that you will start sanctioning companies in 2022. Can you explain a little bit more about that? And, and what, what do you mean? Um, and perhaps what those red lines are or those bright lines, if that's the way you're looking at it.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we wanted to align ourselves with the, the the excellent Parker review that's out there that expects uh, UK companies, FTSE 100 companies to have one person of racial background on the board by the end of 2021. Um, we're racing towards that, aren't we? It's six months away. Um, and we wanted to align ourselves with that um, and to support that. Um so our sanction is from 2022. So from January 2022, um, we will be voting against the chair of the board for UK FTSE 100 companies and S and P 500 companies that don't have a person of racial background on their board. And it's just one—it's one person at this stage. So it's a—it's a fairly low ask, but it's you know we need to start somewhere, and I think that's always the key point. To remember, we do need to start from a sensible place, um, and um, so that was our. Um, want to be able to set that out very clearly to give companies I mean we launched this in September 2020 so we wanted to give companies a lot of time um, to understand our position because we we appreciate it takes it takes time to to um, you know organize succession of a board we know this um, so th- there's no use in us coming out and saying well in six months we're now going to start to vote against you this has been in a narrative way in our policy for a number of years. But we then wanted to be very firm, given the act- activity that happened last year, um, you know, with the murder of George Floyd. This has all now come into the public consciousness and we have a responsibility as an investor to ensure that we're responding to, um, to um, you know, clients' needs and, you know, the, the wider market push so um it it was very clear to us that we wanted to take action we wanted to take it sensibly and intelligently um but that's where we've come down to as a red line um that we will be voting against those board chairs and chairs of nomination committees in the states um from 2022 And, and we're hoping that will um you know ensure companies are focused on this issue and start to make change
0: Great. And as you said, uh, you know, the, it is a start, um, f- with the park review. It's, a, it's a good move in the right direction, but, but one can be pretty lonely. And therefore, yeah. um, it does need to be seen as a, as a starting point. And clearly, you know, coming back to the same things with, with gender and with ethnicity, um, you know, more broadly, it, it absolutely needs to be moving, um, uh, on from that, that point. It does. Maybe, um, look, the, the, the way you have communicated, um, those views very clear and clearly very passionately. Um, and, and I think importantly putting in a, a stake in the ground, being very clear with companies around what's expected. You know, there is, uh, in certainly discussions that we have with a number of companies who say, look, the, you know, the investors only speak to us on remuneration. Um, climate change is getting up the agenda, but they really don't reach out. We don't engage with them on a broader range of topics. So keen for your views. Are investors active enough? Does more need to be done? Um, should companies be reaching out more to engage on these topics?
1: Um, I think investors, I think, it, you know, it, it will always be a mixed bag in terms of action that investors take. And, and I think, you know, investors will, will have a different approach um, to voting, will have a different approach to engagement and, and how that, you know, the responsibility they they take for that. Um, for us, engage, um, engagement has always been a, a part of our philosophy um, and voting is very much linked. So voting doesn't sort of sit as a function Alone, you know, it's very much involved with our engagement activities, and it's also linked to our ESG scores. So the the factors that we have within our ESG scores, there's 28 indicators um, across ESG and also transparency. They are factors that we will vote we will vote on. Um, so you know, every, everything is kind of linked up. Um, but I think. You know, in the past, that there may have been reticence from some investors around around voting, and, and I will I will take you know gender diversity as an example that a lot of investors have been a little bit slow. Um, it, and this is my opinion um, to to really put put forward a vote policy on this. You know, there's been lots of well, we engage, and we think it's really important, but then th- there's no sort of follow up or escalation, if you like, through a vote, and and we know the vote is where we have our power. You know, we are, um, you know, given this voting these voting rights through our clients' assets. um, It's it's a huge area of responsibility, and we take that very seriously, which is why we spend a long time every year um, putting together our custom vote policy, which is very detailed and and done through the expertise of the team. Um, But I think certainly in terms of the the gender vote, it hasn't been utilized enough whether it's confusion or um a reticence around well how how do we vote on this do we vote against the annual report and accounts well that doesn't seem to be quite right we've got to make someone accountable for this which is why we've always placed the vote against the chair because it is that individual that's accountable for the makeup of the board it it, that's absolutely what their job is so, therefore, it makes complete sense to be voting against that individual. But, but I know that some investors have been nervous to vote against individuals because it is so serious. It is so personal. And, and we see that, but we've been very clear at communicating that. And we, and we've always had that trust of companies that, that know where we're coming from. They know absolutely what our red lines are. They've had discussions with us for a number of years, you know, on it. And the, and the, I think the, the sense and the understanding that we don't sort of flip-flop on our on our red lines we're very clear about them you know we can engage with you um but you know th- this is what they are um, and we would expect you to get to a minimum of 30 percent on the board to avoid any negative vote and because that clarity is there it means that companies um they know what they're working towards they, they know you know, how to get your vote, if that's the right way to put it. I mean, I know a US company that I had engaged with that is not my sector anymore, but I'd engaged with for a number of years, a financial company in the US that would engage with me every single year and say, Claire, you know, we, we really are keen to get a hundred percent slate of, you know, a vote in favour from you. And, and we failed this year because because of a policy that, that we know you're putting in place and, and is important. And, and, you know, they're really keen and they really want to be improving themselves to meet that best practice that investors have. And I know that's been tricky because investors do have, you know, varying points of view, but I think they're, there is now a consensus on so many of these issues now, whether it's environmental issues around climate change or social issues around the importance of human capital or, you know, governance issues in terms of the importance of the independence of the board, for instance. So, um, you know, those red lines, we've always clearly communicated. And I think the feedback I've certainly had from companies is that that's helpful. Okay. And we've spoken a little bit about engagement
0: with the companies, Claire. um, Does, is that level of engagement, or is that important um, in terms of influencing a voting decision you may take? So, if you engage with a company up front and you can understand where they're coming from, uh, will that and could that influence your your voting?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, you know that that's that's one of the you know key reasons for engagement is is you know to to be able to understand where a company may be coming from and that they you know we will always say. We would want what you're telling us to be public information um, and publicly you know out there for for the whole market um, so yeah we will we will um you know potentially change a vote on on the back of a, of a successful engagement um you know what we don't do and don't want to do is for companies to sort of see that opportunity of engagement as a lobbying opportunity um, to say, well, you know, we, we're going to, I know that you've got an overboarding policy, Elgin, but, you know, we think that we're a sort of special case to, to you know, basically sort of say to you, well, we, we don't think we deserve a vote against because we know we kind of go across the red lines of overboarding, but this is why, and this is, you know, that, that person is, is so great. We need them on our board. Um, and, and it does, doesn't really matter that they've got too many roles elsewhere. That's something we're not going to negotiate on because what we will negotiate on, say on 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 that example, is if a company says to us, we absolutely understand your overboarding policies, L- Jim. Um, We we absolutely agree, um, and actually we've spoken to X Y and Z director recently, and um, it's been agreed that that individual will be rolling off this board, X Y and Z timing. For that to be made public as well in proxy um, information um, you, you know whatever it might be um, and that will then be okay we would have voted against but we know that you've made that commitment you know in writing publicly with a timeline attached as it were and then we will be able to take that consideration away to say we may change the vote there i mean and that's a you know a simplified uh, sort of scenario but but yes absolutely engagement is, an, is a really critical part uh, of our process and our stewardship activity.
0: Great. So l- let me um, come come back to the data and the disclosures that are in the uh, in the financial statement. So really important around the clarity that we we mentioned be- before, and to to really to tell the story um, be- behind that. Um, is there? And so if I link that also, I'm clear with the Bayes uh, consultation, which is happening at the moment, there is uh, a lot of proposals or, or uh, out for debate around is greater assurance needed over some of this data. Climate change is one, but also uh, in, in other areas, particularly if it influences the remuneration of executives. So perhaps diversity targets and what's being achieved there. Do as, as, as investors, do you feel like you need, Assurance over those numbers, or do you feel like, um, what the, the information that's being presented by the company is fine as it stands in the front half, given there is, as I said, very, well, very little assurance provided over numbers in that front half, in the front half of the accounts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to my mind, more assurance really is necessary. Um, and, you know, certainly in our, our transparency metrics that we have that I, I briefly mentioned on mentioned in our ESG scores, you know, we have several indicators there that are around director disclosure, uh, remuneration disclosure, scope of GHG emissions, verification of ESG reporting standards. So um, and, you know, you know, tax disclosure. So, you know, the verification of ESG reporting standards, um, you know, is is something that we're asking companies to be transparent about. So, yeah, I think, you know, the the the, the verification auditing of, of of these points, I think, is certainly, you know, important to give investors comfort that, you know, there is that verification behind it. It's not just a sort of company spitting out numbers and saying, well, you know, th- this th- these are the numbers we have and you sort of have to believe them because I think there has been as we know, cases of, um, you know, you know, potentially greenwashing and and things like that. So I do think that verification is, is important. And I think there will be more focus on that. Definitely. Yeah. With the with the review. Great. Um, Claire, I, we're running out of time.
0: And one final question I am keen to ask you is um, if, if some maybe some crystal ball gazing, but if you're in five years time, 10 years time, and you look back, what do you think will be the biggest driver of change? And I'm going to ask you within the social context, we've spent a lot of time covering that today. So in terms of moving ahead on the social agenda, what, what do you think that would be?
1: That's a really interesting question, because um, when I saw this question asked, I was actually going to say, I think clients are becoming more interested in how our, how their managers vote, but that's a governance issue. So I think on the social side, I think, you know, this push on diversity is, is just so key. But I think there needs to be the understanding around the intersectionality of those diversity elements. And I think there needs to be a bit of a mindset shift um, to really understanding that, the the, the the difference of people is what we need to harness. And so we, we really want to be in a place where we're not sort of saying, well, that person's of racial background, that person's a woman, that person is 60, that person is 40. You know, I think we need to be looking at this in a much more holistic way. So I think... The this push on, on gender and this change we're seeing on, on gender in terms of diversity, the push and the change we're seeing. And I and I am really excited about coming through on racial difference. Um, I think that will then sort of culminate. And I think we'll look back in hopefully 10 years time and we won't be sort of pulling out the, 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 the sort of streams of diversity. It will just be a much more holistic, all rounded understanding of um, the fact that we need you know, diverse teams to make the best decisions. Um, I think also, you know, the 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 conversations that we're having, and certainly the collaborations we're part of on human capital management, is so essential. You know, companies need to be disclosing. I mean, the the, the, the people are a huge asset, not a not a cost. They're they're an asset. So we need to be understanding more information about that human capital asset at companies. And I think the reporting there will also, um, I think, get better because we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, asking for sort of very basic data points at the moment as, again, a place to start. Um, but I think um, that focus on human capital and companies trying to tell us more about that, I think will, will be, you know, quite significant.
0: Brilliant. Claire, thank you so much for, for taking time and sharing your thoughts with us today. Y- your passion and your clarity, um, of, of thinking, uh, ha- has really come through. There are so many takeaways, um, you know, from, from this discussion. And I think for me, you know, what is really clear is, you know, investors, yes, they are focused on results, but they're equal. What's equally as important is how the companies deliver, deliver those results. And that's really where ESG comes in. And, and if you you can't deliver the results in a sustainable way, um, that, and, and that you're a good corporate citizen, then the investors quite rightly are going to stand up and they're going to take action. And that, that really has come through um, today. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Um, looking forward to uh, our future podcast. We've got many great guests like Claire, who are, who are passionate about good governance. So please subscribe to the podcast to get alerted when the new episodes are published. Thank you very much. And goodbye for now.